we're looking at three different bags of cocaine. So you have three different types. You have Panda from Mexico. You have Bava, which is different, but equally good as Panda from Mexico. And you have Choco from Harz Mountains of Germany. Just based on the names. I'm going to go with Panda because it just has the most fun name. Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, I don't know why. I'll probably draw to that too if, if, I, if I had yeah, to choose. Just, I don't know. It's cute. And like pandas are fluffy. Like maybe it'll make me feel cute and fluffy. Like, I don't know. Like... <laughs> What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films. To keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I'm on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, I am joined by Jeremy Mullaly, who is a film director and also the founder of Ithaca Media and Video Production Company based in Perth, Australia. Jeremy, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, no, I'm really excited for this. Like I was saying before we, we hopped on, it's a great opportunity to voice my opinions that no one else will listen to about great films such as this. So um, no, I'm really, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for you to be here as well. So before we jump in, to Pulp Fiction, and that is the film that we are discussing today. What is your background on the film? When did you first see it? What was your first thoughts about it? Any information of when you first watched it and experienced it? Yeah, to be honest, I can't remember the exact time I first watched it, but I probably would have been sort of in the later years of of high school, and anyone who you know sort of studies film or starts getting into filmmaking you, you just come across Tarantino it's impossible not to do and I think Tarantino is probably responsible in a good way largely for influencing and inspiring a lot of a lot of younger filmmakers sort of of my generation or at least around that kind of point so yeah it would have been probably like later in high school that I, I first watched it and from there I maybe watched it half a dozen times I remember we had to watch it when I was studying film, um, so when I went to university to actually do my film degree, it was one of the films we got to to watch. And I remember actually doing a uh, sort of a presentation on it. So it's um, something I've spent a lot of time with and um, really, really enjoy as well. So it's it's great to, to revisit it. I hadn't actually watched it in um, well, gee, probably, you know, two, three years since I last watched it. So it was a good excuse to, to dust it off shelf and, and rewatch it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it sounds like, you know, you have a lot of background on it. So my background on Pulp Fiction going into it, I know that it's a Tarantino film. I've seen two Tarantino films so far. Currently, I'm at two and a half because I'm halfway through this one. I have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Inglorious Bastards. Those are the other two that I have seen. And I enjoyed them both. And so... I knew Pulp Fiction was like one of those classics that everyone was like, you have to watch this. How have you not watched this? So I knew that. I think there is a scene with Samuel L. Jackson's character where he mentions that he is an equal opportunity ass whooper. 
I don't know if that's in this movie, but like I've seen that scene flow through social media, and so I don't know if it's in this film or not, but I think it is, because I think I have the haircut right in my memory. I haven't seen the clip in a while. I do know that the John Travolta, there's a meme of John Travolta where he's just like looking around of like what what's going on. I know that that's from this film. And I think that this film has something to do with cops and time has some sort of play in the film, like playing with time. This is what I thought I knew going into it. So not a lot. I don't have a lot of information before we jump in. But yeah, that's that's what I was starting with. It's not bad reference points, to be fair. So it's uh, it's good. Well, I'm curious, though. Have you found that by watching at least two of his other films, you kind of have a a stylistic baseline coming into this movie? Like there's an expectation of what, what it's going to be like? Not really. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think I watched on a flight because it was there. And I was like, well, this has Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Why not? Like, I've heard good things about it. But I also didn't know the background of what they were talking about in the Charles Manson murders or anything like that. And so I didn't really know. I just enjoyed the film for being a film. Inglorious Bastards, I did take notes on it, but... I kind of had an idea that there might be, like, it might be split up into chapters, but that was about it. Because in Glorious Bastards, I do remember that, like, it was split into chapters. So as the movie started going and I kind of picked up on, and we'll get more into it, of these chapters, I wasn't surprised by the chapters because of those two other films, but I didn't really know what I was getting into stylistically because... I've heard that this one is one of, if not his best films. A lot of people consider this one or Inglorious Bastards as one of his top films, at least from what I have heard throughout life. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's something I, I more or less tend to agree with. I, I, it's kind of a staple of my life. I think, in my mind, they're synonymous. Like, if you think Tarantino is Pulp Fiction, for me, and it's such, a, it's such an iconic film and you feel especially if you're watching it you know in 2023 you'll feel like you've watched it just because it is so ingrained in our culture especially like our culture especially from like a filmic point of view that you almost feel like you've watched it before so I think it's something you know something to be said about that yeah definitely I would I definitely felt like oh, this is familiar. Like, I didn't feel like, what am I watching? I just was like, oh, this is familiar. And I've never experienced this film before. But let's jump into it. And we'll continue chatting. So we open up with a definition of pulp. Now, pulp is a noun. And the first definition is a soft, moist, shapeless mass of matter. The second definition is a magazine or book containing lurid subject matter and characteristically printed on rough, unfinished paper. Cool. This is apparently the American Heritage Dictionary and the New College Edition, if anyone was curious on which one they used. But yeah, it kind of made me think like this film is going to be a mix of both. Otherwise, why are you giving us the definition of pulp and that to 
both definitions. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a, a throwaway a piece of, of like a line on, that just to put at the beginning of a of a great film you're making. So no, no, I, I definitely think that there's a there's a point of reading those two definitions into the film as you go on. Yeah, as you watch the rest of the, the two definitions that stuck out to me in this moment were shapeless massive matter. And that kind of gave me the idea because I thought that this played with time a bit and I'm not still fully completely sure what's going on. But that shapeless matter of like, you know, it, everything kind of comes together, but it's shapeless if you look at it piece by piece. And then the lurid subject matter is also what stuck out to me there. And that is something that like is just it feels like in what few films I've seen by Tarantino, that's just common. And so I will that stuck out to me, though, of like, OK, like this is the type of film we're getting into. Be prepared. Buckle up. Let's go. So we open up with two people at a diner. The guy says that he's going to quit. Seems like he wants to quit something shady. The girl says it's always the same. You say this and then a few days later you just go back. It makes you seem like a duck and then starts quacking at him. I laughed out loud. It was just a very fun sequence of her quacking. The guy says that the way it is now, it's the same risk as robbing a bank. In fact, banks are easier and federal banks don't even stop people anymore. He then tells a story of a guy who walked into a bank with the phone, not a gun, and he was very explicit that it wasn't a gun, and just tells the bank teller, hey, we have your little girl, give us all your money. And the teller did, and, you know, the guy just walked out, and it worked. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I feel like I would probably do the same thing. And the girl asks if the little girl was okay. And the guy's like, that's not the point. The point is that he robbed the bank with the phone. And I was just like, no, but the little girl matters. Like, how can you just not care about this little girl? Doesn't make any sense. He's heartless. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's come back. <laughs> like, the little girl matters. She's part of the story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like, what are you doing? The robbery wouldn't work if the little girl didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But a guy continues, he says that it's easier than robbing liquor stores. And so that's when I kind of put together like, okay, are they robbing liquor stores? Is that what's happening? He also says too many foreigners at liquor stores and that they don't speak English. And I had a note and I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that there are more English speakers in the world where English isn't their first language than if English is their first language. Just an interesting thing. I don't... I don't know that a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> no, I think I and, think you're right. I think you're right. And and again, it's it's probably probably says more about the characters than than any kind of truth statement about what what reality is. Oh, definitely. Like the characters, wonderful. But does that mean that I'm not going to dissect what they say? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so loved both of these characters. They are funny and hilarious. So. And then yeah, very, very engaging to begin with. I was drawn in immediately. I was like, I want to figure out. And I liked that they were vague. They gave you enough hints here and there, but they didn't divulge all the information immediately. And I liked that it was a very engaging way to just draw me into the story where 
I was like, okay, I want to figure out what is your deal rather than you just telling me I'm kind of piecing the puzzle together. And the puzzle makes more and more sense as the scene evolves, but I think that's what makes it such a strong opening scene that they don't just give you all the information. You just jump into the middle of a conversation, which is completely fine, but you're because these people are probably having a conversation for five minutes before this all begins and we start witnessing the conversation, we finally just get to see what's going on and experience it with them. And you kind of, because they already know everything, but you as the viewer have to piece the puzzle together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that and that's kind of where the mastery of Tarantino's writing process shines in something like this, where it's a very um, enclosed scene. You know, we're just sitting at a booth in an average diner and we've got these two characters talking, you know. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a fairly prolonged scene in the sense that we're building up and we're getting these little hints and clues like you're saying. And then, yeah, we, 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 know, we know who these people are. We know what, like, and again, we're sort of, you, like you were sort of questioning, do they rob liquor stores initially? Like, we get a sense exactly what they do with their lives and how they spend their time and, and what they think of other people, et cetera, just from this very brief. Yeah, definitely. We find out that apparently the foreigners, they own the liquor stores. Makes a bit more sense. And they do say that they don't want to kill anyone. So I was like, okay, like, at least they have some morals. Like, they might want to rob these places, but... They also don't want to kill anyone. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want the money. And you know what? Fair enough. You, you do what you got to do to survive. So the guy then does explain something. And I'm just going to read this quote because it was just a beautiful quote. If it's not gooks, it's these old fucking Jews who've owned the store for 15 fucking generations. You got Grandpa Irvin sitting behind the counter with a fucking magnum in his hand. Try walking into one of those places with the phone. See how far that gets you. He has a point. So the girl asks, okay, then what about day jobs? And the guy says, no, we should rob this place, the coffee shop that they're in. And then explains that nobody ever robs restaurants, which I feel like isn't true. I feel like restaurants get robbed a fair amount. I can't. I honestly can't comment. I, you know, I live in Australia, so like it's sort of unheard of here. But you know, in this US in the early nineties, LA, like maybe I, I honestly just couldn't say either. Either way, I'll need to speak to to someone who's lived there. I don't know. I was born in the late nineties, so I don't know what the early nineties were necessarily fully like in LA. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like media tells us that restaurants do get robbed. A fair amount, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Not, not, Maybe that's just okay. media. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I honestly couldn't say either way, but um, yeah, that, <laughs> that did stick out to me again. I was like, I don't know if that's true, but oh. yeah, it's, it's for the story purpose, I suppose. Creative license there, and it makes sense. Like, and he explains it. They're just not as expecting as other places, and restaurants like banks are also insured most of the time. And then he proceeds to explain all the different like characters that you'll meet in a restaurant you have the manager he doesn't give a fuck he's just trying to get you out before you plug up any of the diners so yeah fair enough the manager's just like leave just don't hurt anybody fine waitresses 
forget it. They ain't taking a bullet for the register. And as someone who has worked as a waiter and a bartender, yeah, I wouldn't take a bullet. I would just be like, have fun, enjoy. Like, take the money. I don't get paid enough to care. Like, goodbye. Similarly with the busboy who's getting paid $150 an hour, which is just a whole different discussion, but it's the early 90s, so maybe that was normal. (laughs) But, you know, he doesn't care that you're stealing from the owner. Fair enough, again. And then the customers just have food in their mouths and they don't really know what's going on. Yeah, no, no I, I like it. I like that. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, I didn't know you you had that background as well. Like, cause, and <laughs> I, I've, I've not worked those those jobs, but yeah, no way. No way you take a bullet for, for, for that. No way. No chance. If, if there is any waitress or busboy out there that is listening to this episode, and they are willing to take a bullet. Reach out and let me know why, because I'm curious as to why. I'll, I won't, you know, ever divulge that information to anybody unless you're okay with it. But, like, I'm just curious. Like, who would as a waitress or a busboy? Because, I don't know, me personally and any of my friends that I've worked with, none of us would. We don't get paid enough. Like, not, not worth our life to not just give the guy the money and have him leave. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, the guy got the idea at the last liquor store that they robbed. All the customers kept coming in, and the girl had the idea to steal the wallets. Apparently, they made more money from the wallets than the register itself. And in a restaurant, you have a lot of people with a lot of wallets. It makes complete sense. There we go. It's right there. The girl says, right here, right now, the guy brings out a gun and says, same as last time, the girl gets crowd controlled, the guy handles the employees, and then they stand up, they're ready to rob the bank, and then the scene cuts. Fantastic opening scene. I'm here for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and again, like, iconic opening scene right there, you know? It, yeah, it's, I it, mean... It's, a, it's just a shell of bravado um, right from the get-go. <laughs> No, totally, definitely. I think it works, like we said, just because it lets you piece all the puzzles together. And it's just, hi, we're here. This is what's happening. Let's go. So I made a prediction at this moment because I don't fully know what's happening. But I'm like, all right, we're one scene into this film. Let's shoot a prediction. I don't think I have a very good track record on any of my predictions, let alone this one, which... I think crashes and burns very quickly. So my prediction is that they will successfully rob the bank and then they will go on the run and the rest of the movie will be the cops, as I said. And I was like, I think it's Samuel L. Jackson's character and John Travolta's character are the cops and they will be hunting down this guy and girl trying to find them. That's what I thought was happening in this movie. Turns out I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just as we're going through, like I think every point was wrong. Then. <laughs> but you can be you can be very much forgiven for that based on how it does proceed. So I can't blame you at all. Yeah, I I hit pause. I wrote this down, and then I hit play, and then I was like. Oh, okay. Almost, almost so, like, yeah, five minutes later, you figure out most of that probably. <laughs> I think I have a note, like, two pages down, and I'm like, 
I think I missed everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so they get up, they tell everyone it's a robbery. Then Dick Dale's Missy Relu, I think I'm saying that right. I am terrible with pronunciation. Missy um, Relu, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that starts to play, and we cut away. So, yeah, I'm very confused. As of this moment, we'll find out what happens. So, the credits start to roll, and my first thought was just, this is a star-studded cast. Yeah, it really is, and... and, and... And yeah, like even even for the time, you know, and like we, could, I'm sure we'll go on through the episode. I mean, like we've got you know Travolta, which this basically, I'm not sure if you're like aware of it or if you looked into it, but this is this basically resuscitated or revived his career. This film, okay. So his his I guess stardom or, or you know career as an actor was more or less like dead at this point. And I think I don't know if I'm recalling this story correctly, but I think like a couple of years earlier. Tarantino, or like, well, before this film, anyway, I think after he did Reservoir Dogs, he was at a party with John Travolta and basically was just like fangirling over him and saying, like, Oh man, you're the best. Like, and you know, I loved you in, in Greece and in, in Saturday Night Fever and everything. Like that. He's like, you know, like, what happened to that Travolta is more or less what he said. So I think he kept him in mind. And then when he was putting together the cast for Pulp Fiction, he just knew that that was the character so you're like after this this kind of brought travolta back into the limelight after this so um so there's that and then yeah like you know you name it you got samuel jackson you've got bruce willis who's yeah christopher, christopher walken as well and, and bruce willis mind you this is this is after Die Hard, like <laughs> you know what i mean so bruce willis is a very established actor at this point probably from like as far as his career sure so um <laughs> yeah then yeah christopher walken massive actor I don't, I don't know if Uma Thurman was. I think this sort of made her this film. I don't know if she was a massive actress at this point. I don't know. It may yeah. have been because I think she and I am very possibly wrong here, but I think she gained popularity in the early '90s. I don't know if it was this film or if it was like just at this time there were like three or four films that were all coming out and so it was kind of that mix of like you know she did multiple good films all around the same time frame so i just don't know which one came out before the other ones but i think it was like something like that where like she did multiple good ones all around the same time yeah correct so i know i mean obviously she's most as far as Tarantino's concerned, most famous for Kill Bill, which is after Pulp Fiction. But I just can't, I, I'm not, I've not followed her career with great scrutiny. So I don't know if she was, if like where this kind of fell in her career trajectory. But I, I believe this is kind of what brought her into the limelight as well. But absolutely right. Like just a stellar, completely stellar, stellar cast. Yeah. 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 And in terms of John Travolta, because you were saying that it kind of revitalized his career. I'm not gonna lie, I think this might be the first movie that I've actually ever seen with John Travolta in it. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I've never seen Grease. My sister was fascinated about this information as well. <laughs> so, and I've never seen Saturday Night Fever. I, I know the music from both, oh, but... Of course. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> uh, like I would probably argue that Travolta's more um, recognized from Saturday Night Fever. That's again very okay. very classic film. 
and and there is something quite ah, there's some, like I mean we'll, we'll go when we sort of get to the relevant scenes. I'll sort of expand a bit more on it. But there is something touching, and you kind of like like it's and and you sort of got to think in that context of the '90s, like you've not really seen Travolta on the screen, like the, the, the you know seeing him that kind of in that he's just cool. He just oozes cool like in this film, and like that's kind of what his persona was like in Greece and in Saturday Night Fever. So cool. there, there is something there is that element there. Yeah, I know the kind of vibe that he gives, at least from Greece, just because I'm more familiar with the music from that one. But yeah, I mean, I know that he was really big and, you know, still is. Like, he's a big household, like, he's a household name. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, back to the film. So, suddenly, as the credits are rolling, there's Radio Static and then Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang starts to play. And then we cut. We get into our scene with Samuel Jackson's character and John Travolta's character. We still don't know their names. And they're in a car discussing hash bars. And John's character is explaining that hash is not 100% legal, but it is legal. Like, it's okay to smoke it at home or in designated places. And those designated places are what are called hash bars. Because it's legal to buy, it's legal to own, and if you own the bar, it's legal to sell. So that's kind of how it works and apparently in amsterdam if cops stop you they don't have the right to search you samuel jackson's character is just like i'm going to amsterdam and that's where i clocked you're not cops (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah i'm not sure who they are but they ain't cops um so john travolta's character says in europe Things are the same, but a little bit different. And I grew up in the States, but now I live in Europe. I live in London. And so I was like, where are you going with this? He then explains that in Amsterdam, you can buy a beer in a movie theater. In Paris, you can buy one at McDonald's. And in Paris, it isn't a quarter pounder with cheese because of the metric system. It's a Royale with cheese. Which, I don't know if this is true. I haven't been to Paris. But if it is, that's fantastic. <laughs> Again, it, I, I've watched this half a dozen times. And I've, <laughs> in the interim, been to Paris. And I don't know why I never bothered to check it out. I guess I guess when you're in Paris, the first thing you're thinking of is, let's go to Macca's. Or, well, sorry, McDonald's. But we call it Macca's in Australia. For that's time. fine. We called it Mickey D's <laughs> in high school. So, like, you're good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, like so. I, I, I'm kicking myself. I didn't go to verify that. I suppose. No, that's okay. I'll make it to Paris one of these days, and when I do, I will send you a picture, and we'll find out please, if this is true. Please or do. Not. Please do. Well, you're just a train right um, away, isn't it? Can't you, can't you take the? Isn't there? I really uh, am. I'm a train uh, right away. I just haven't gotten around to going to Paris. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. right there. <laughs> 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 apparently a big mac is still a big mac but it is called le big mac again something that i will have to find out on my eventual someday trip to paris <laughs> so <laughs> sam says what about a whopper or samuel jackson's character currently i'm just calling them samuel jackson and john travolta because i know who the actors are but i don't know who the characters are so this is where we're oh, at yeah. <laughs> But John Travolta's character is like, I don't know, I didn't go to bur- go into Burger King. 
And I was just like, what disrespect to Burger King? Like, you can't just disrespect the king like that. Like, you gotta, you gotta find out. This isn't okay. Yeah. And just I was on hurt that, on get, Burger King's behalf. Oh, yeah, I was less hurt, only because you probably already know this, but in, um, in Australia, Burger King is Hungry Jacks. So we don't. We oh, don't is call it actually? Burger, you know. Yeah, and the reason what, just very quickly, the reason for that is when Burger King came into Australia, there was already a company who had the rights to that name. So that had to rebrand as a different name, and they settled on Hungry Jacks. So if you come to. Australia, Hungry Jacks, Burger King, same thing. So the food's exactly the same, from my understanding. Just different now. Okay. Yeah. Well, good to know. I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I ever end up in Australia. Don't be offended. You might, maybe you will be offended if you come here. You're like, they disrespected Burger King. No, no, because that's a branding thing. That's a branding thing. They didn't disrespect them. They just had to rebrand, and that's fine. Yeah. But, like... Me personally, I always liked Burger King more than McDonald's because Me too. I Me too. Grew, I grew up vegetarian. I thought, and Burger King had a veggie burger. McDonald's didn't. Did they not? And I could until recently. Not huh? while I was growing up. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. At least not in Kentucky or Seattle. In neither oh. place did Burger. I mean, they have one now, but they. Oh, sure, but everyone when I has was growing one now. up. Yeah, yeah, everyone has one now. Like, if you don't have one now, it's like, what are you doing kind of deal. Well, it's, a, it's a statement if you don't have one now, so. Yeah, you really got to double down and be like, no vegetarians or vegans in our restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe Chick-fil-A. I don't know. I don't go to Chick-fil-A. So, but, so I just went to Burger King more and... I just liked their food better, and I still like their food better. And so, yeah. But anyway, back to the film. We are going on so many tangents. This is lovely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, instead of ketchup on their fries, they put mayo on their fries, which that is a legitimate thing. And to any Americans listening, if you haven't tried it, it's surprisingly good. That's right. That's very nice. Yeah, it's surprisingly good. It's different, but surprisingly good. So they open the trunk, and Samuel Jackson's character says that they should have shotguns for this type of deal. And they pull out their guns, and they say that there can be anywhere between three to five guys up there, including their guy. Cool. I'm still confused on what they're doing, but I do know at this point you're not cops. That, that's the information we got. Absolutely so, said thank you. this point. <laughs> yeah, certain certain they're not cops. Uh, still very confused on who you are, but you're not cops. I do get a little bit of a hint on who they are, thanks to the subtitles. I learned that John Travolta's character is named Vincent, and Samuel Jackson's character is named Jules. So now that we know their names, I can use their character names. So we learned that there's a girl named Mia. She's somehow involved, and... She met someone named Marcellus, and they don't know how, but Mia used to be an actress, and the biggest deal was that she was in a pilot. Vincent asks what's a pilot, and says that he doesn't watch TV, and Jules just responds with, yeah, but you are aware there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? I love the sass. I love Jules. Like, 
five lines in, he's great. Fantastic. So Jules explains how a pilot works, and for anyone who doesn't know, pretty much, they make one show, and then that show gets showed to a bunch of people who get to pick which shows might be on, and on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more. Some are chosen, those become TV programs, and some become nothing. Mia was in one of the ones that became nothing. Fair enough. Very straightforward explanation of just how pilots work. So, then they mention someone named Antoine Rockamora. Half black, half Samoan, also called Tony Rocky Horror. I'm just gonna call him Antoine, because... It's a different name, and no one else is called Antoine in this film, at least up until now. So, I don't even remember the nickname, to be honest. So. <laughs> I only know because I wrote it down. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Marcellus fucked him up good. And apparently, Antoine gave Marcellus's wife a foot massage. And so Marcellus sent some people over to his place, and they threw Antoine over the balcony, and he fell four stories and crashed into a greenhouse and developed a speech impediment because of the accident. That's an overreaction, I feel like, for a foot massage. Yeah, I agree. And, and just, I think we're going to have to put a little, little you know, signpost at, at this point because I would be doing a disservice to all the people that like to talk about Tarantino, because you may or may not have heard, and well, if not, you're hearing it here first. But um, apparently, Tarantino has a big um foot fetish, and um, I have heard is, that. Yeah, which he adamantly I denies, and I, I, I'm, I'm not passionate about it either way. But I think it is just kind of funny. And if you have what, I mean, which ones you've watched, Inglorious Bastards, and and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've actually not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but there is his foot fetishness bleeding into um, Inglorious Bastards too. So I think it's just very interesting, and I think it's quite funny. <laughs> so I, I thought enough. I might point that out at this point. Yeah, no, um, I like it. And honestly, even if he doesn't, I feel like Tarantino also knows if people are talking about this, Put it in the film in some way, shape, or form because it'll make people talk about it. And that's just that's just good filmmaking right there. If you know your audience is going to talk about something, even if it's making a joke at you a bit, laugh at yourself and put it in the film because it's just if you can find a way to make it fit. Yeah, well, maybe. And uh, to be honest, I don't know if he was conscious of, of it at this point. I think that only came out after like a series of films. And everyone kind of just like realized, why like, this guy's really obsessed with fate. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's fantastic. I also just enjoyed how this was just like a normal conversation that these two were having about like this guy. Um, I think what Tarantino's films do very well, at least in the ones that I've seen, is that none of the dialogue feels forced. Even this entire scene it's just, you know, these two dudes having a random conversation that any two people might be randomly having, like, walking down the path or whatever. Like, it's, it's just such a random conversation 
And I think that's why it's so intriguing of what's going on. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. And and to be honest, I actually have almost the opposite opinion, like in retrospect now, like I, if I, if we were talking and I hadn't rewatched this, I would have probably agreed with you, but there's something about a rewatching the film again, that seems incredibly artificial about a lot of the dialogue, not all of it, but this, this scene stuck out. For me, as far as having that artificiality to it and and seeming really contrived in order to sound as casual as it could be, if that makes sense. And, you know, whether or not that's a good or bad thing is, you know, another conversation. But I just, yeah, no, it's interesting to hear your perspective on it because I, I actually had a different reaction to it re-watching it this time around because Tarantino is typically – uh, regarded as having uh, really great dialogue. You might have come across that through your head of that just, you know, in yeah. passing. But um, now, like, looking back at it, I, I feel like it's it, – I don't know. I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe my taste has changed. Fair enough. And it might also be that thing of, you know, you've seen it multiple multiple times and so some of the dialogue just doesn't sit the same way and that's completely fine as well right like you can still appreciate something but it just you know has evolved through your life like as as you live more and experience more things you're going to come back to something that maybe you watched 10 15 years ago and then just be like oh like that's a bit different than how i remembered it for the very first time so yeah, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's no one right way to think of something. But, so Vincent says that Antoine should have known better and probably didn't expect Marcellus to act the way that he did. But he should have expected some type of reaction. Vincent says that it's still putting hands on her in an intimate way. Not as bad as eating her out, but it's in the same ballpark. And Jules is just like, those aren't, even the same thing like what are you talking about and then is like your massage method might be different than mine but touching someone's feet and sticking there your tongue in the holiest of holes aren't in the same ballpark they're not even in the same league they're not even the same sport fair enough jules i'm here for the sass let's go <laughs> vincent asks if jules has ever given a foot massage and Jules says that he is the foot master. And then Vincent asks, have you given a man a foot massage? And Jules just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jamal's so I'm pretty sure after that, he's like, what does he say? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm actually, I'm feeling a bit sore on my feet now. I could use a foot massage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just after it. So they get to a door. Yeah. It's 7.22 a.m. It isn't time yet, so they hang back. And I'm like, what are they about to do to these poor people inside this door? Because I don't have a good idea. I don't have a good feeling. My prediction real quick was that they go into the room, they shoot the people who are in the room that aren't their people, and then they save the person that they need to save, is my guess, because they were mentioning one of their people. So yeah, who's like just there and in a sticky situation. That's what I thought was happening. But we go back to the foot massage. As you said, Vincent's just like, my feet kind of hurt now. I could, I could use a foot massage. <laughs> Fantastic. 
<laughs> so Jules says that isn't it right that the way that Marcellus acted with Antoine, it was an overreaction. Vincent agrees, but then says that Jules is saying that a foot massage means nothing, and that just isn't true. Vincent says that in all the foot massages that he has given, there's a sensuous thing going on. He knows it. The woman knows it. It's never spoken about, but Antoine should have known better. And then Jules says, interesting point. Let's get into character. Now, I've never given a foot massage, so I don't know if that's a thing, but... Yeah, no, maybe. I, I, me neither. I've never given nor received a, a, a foot massage. I generally don't like people touching my feet. I don't want to touch other people's feet. So, but yeah, I, I think I, I, like my my intuition would tell me that it it is verging on the more yeah intimate side of things. You know, like it's like it's a funny retort to say, would you give? A man a foot massage like and you know and if you're not gay then yeah it probably feels a bit uncomfortable to do that but you know, totally yeah. um it's just like i don't really know what's going on here and yeah i mean maybe it is maybe it isn't the only way that i've ever had a foot massage is like my parents at one point got these like slippers that like you hit a button and then like the slippers give you a massage oh great but like that's the clothing like no one's ever touched my feet yeah, yeah. <laughs> and giving me a foot massage that way so like i see the appeal in it but also at the same time never had that happen to me and i'm okay with that so <laughs> they go back to the door vincent reveals that marcellus has asked him to take care of mia while marcellus is out of town he he says that it is not a date i'm just taking my buddy's wife to a movie or something like that sounds like good company Sounds a bit like a date, but probably not, you know. I, I, I trust Vincent, so I have, I have no Ill, Ill feelings toward Vincent right now. I like the guy. So the door gets opened by a young black man, and he looks scared. There is one guy eating a burger, and there is another guy that is on the couch just chilling. Jules says hello, and don't worry, keep chilling to the couch boy, as I'm going to call him, when he starts to get up. And everyone looks terrified, so I'm like, okay. Immediately, we know that Jules and Vincent have the power in this room, even though they have just entered the room. So it just sets that precedent right away. Jules explains that they are associates of their business partner, Marcellus Wallace, and takes a wild guess burger boy at the table is brett jules asks if brett remembers marcellus he does and then he apologizes for interrupting breakfast now the breakfast that these champions have chosen is hamburgers who eats hamburgers for breakfast what? and and also like is uh, that the the oh, i forget the name you probably haven't written down but the actual burgers they're having I believe is a real burger joint in It's LA. a big kahuna burger. Big kahuna burger, yeah. And that, that's a real place, right? Like, it's a real brand, is it not? Sure. Why not? I have no idea. I'm, I, I think the last time I was in LA, I was four. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, well, I, 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 I wrongly assumed that you might have been there when you were a bit older. That's on 
That's all oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I haven't really been to LA much. I've been to New York more than I've been to LA, and I moved to the west coast of the US in 2011, and I have still gone to New York more times than I have gone to LA since moving in 2011. Yeah. <laughs> so, there we go. It might be. I. It feels like it is, because I think I've heard the name before. If it wasn't at the time, it certainly is now. 100%. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I've yeah. definitely heard the name multiple times. I wasn't surprised. I didn't bat an eye at it. Jules has heard very good things about Big Kahuna Burger, and he asks if it is okay for him to try one. He grabs Brett's burger, takes a bite, agrees that it is a tasty burger, and Jules says that he usually can't get burgers because his girlfriend is vegetarian, which in turn makes him a vegetarian. Seems about right. So, he brings back the Royale with cheese information. I love the callback to five minutes ago. And Brett guesses correctly that this is the case because of the metric system. And, you know, Brett's a smart guy. So Jules then takes a sip of Brett's Sprite while staring him down. And the sip, I believe, completed the Sprite? Yes. <laughs> okay. It was an extremely long sip and you hear that distinct um, blurb at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> there was only ice left in that, in that cup. <laughs> that's like that's like you know the sip that you're like i i could give this to my friend but also i know that there's everyone has that one friend that you're just like if i give this to you i'm not getting it back yes <laughs> so he then goes over to couch boy and asks if they know who they are and where they are hiding the shit my first thought was are they hiding mia Turns out, no, that was a dumb question. But they were talking about Mia so much, I was like slightly confused on what are they looking for. I wasn't completely sure. So, the black kid answers, he's still standing by the door, and he answers that it's over there, and Jules snaps back immediately. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Now, Couchboy says that it's in the cupboard. Vincent checks the cupboard. He pulls out a briefcase. And he opens it and looks inside, says that they're happy. What's inside the briefcase? We never find out. I want to know what's inside the briefcase. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say, can I? Cause you, 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 you can't um, say, because no, maybe I it can't. comes back later. And, like, I, I appreciate you not saying anything, but this is me just being like, it could be money, but if it was money, why do what they're about to do? Just take the money and leave. So it makes me think that it's not just money, and that it's something more valuable than money, but I don't know what. So this is what I think, currently, is it's something more valuable than money, because what happens immediately after this doesn't make any sense if this is just about money. Right. But I have no inclination of what this is, because I still, for as far as I've seen this film... I have no idea what's going on in terms of Marcellus's business. So, <laughs> Brett apologizes and he tries to get Jules' name. Jules says that it's Pitt. I laughed because I was like, haha, Brad Pitt. <laughs> Which I know isn't like actually what it was, but this is just what I thought of. Because both this. of the other Tarantino films that I've seen both have Brad Pitt in it. So I just kind of laughed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. 
Brett stands up and starts to apologize, and Jules just raises his hand, and Brett sits back down. And I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was just a beautiful piece of acting by both actors, where you know you don't always have to say anything. You know, body language is how we speak in our day-to-day lives so much. It was just a great half a second moment of just raising a hand, just to like be like, no, no, sit. And just really showing, like, I have the power, you're doing what I'm telling you to do. Even though you're saying whatever you're saying. Just a beautiful, like, one, two-second moment. Brett says that they're very, very sorry that things got so fucked up with them and Mr. Wallace. And as he's apologizing, Jules shoots Couch Boy. Didn't see that coming. Neither did Brett. (laughs) Just plugged him. (laughs) Completely plugged him. (laughs) yeah jules hits him with beautiful line i'm sorry did i break your concentration i didn't mean to do that please continue yeah yeah you broke my concentration (laughs) there is so many samuel jackson quotes just in this scene alone that are career binding for him yeah you know like again when we're talking familiarity like you were talking about about the whole film the, the, I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but these lines, I, I, I was, even when I was rewatching, I, I've seen it before, but I was just like, oh yeah, that's, that line's in this, that line's in this, oh, that line's in this, and it's just so many of them. I've heard some <laughs> of these lines, so I've heard, yeah. I'm sorry, did I break your con- concentration before? Yeah. And then I have heard the other line that I just said, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Yeah, or- I don't remember asking you a goddamn <laughs> thing. <laughs> beautiful so but yeah so Jules continues and then this this little interaction and it was during this interaction that I was like oh I've seen this clip before somewhere because of the interaction that's about to happen Jules says that to Brett like hey you were saying something about best intentions oh you were finished allow me to retort what does Mars Marcellus Wallace look like? Brett, what? Jules. Then flips a table and then asks, what country are you from? What? What isn't a country, Brett? Like, come on. And literally, because I hit pause, I wrote, what isn't a country? I hit play. And then Jules claps back. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Yes. So describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? I love that Brett is just so confused and just isn't getting the hint of stop saying what? Yeah. (laughs) But it was during that little interaction that I was like, I've seen this clip. I know this clip. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I just never knew that it was part of this film, which I feel like I should... Because I think this is the only film where I've ever seen Samuel L. Jackson have hair. Yeah, right. Okay. I think he's... Does he have hair in... He does have hair in another Tarantino film, um, Jackie Brown. But it's a, um, it's a completely different I haven't different even haircut. heard of that one. Yeah. That's one to watch. Fair enough. That's okay. good. Okay. I'll, I'll toss it on the list. Pretty much every Tarantino film is on my list yeah. at this point. Um, I'm like, I gotta... I'll get yeah, the- look. These there there are a lot and they're I would watch Kill Bill before Jackie Brown, I'd say. I prefer Kill Bill. Like put this part one and two. 
I, I like him better than Jackie Brown. But Jackie Brown's very good as well in its own right. Fair enough. I've heard amazing things about Kill Bill, so that's definitely on my list, mm. and we will get to it yeah. soon on this show. But so Jules points his gun at Brett, dares him to say what again. Brett then starts to finally describe Marcellus Wallace. He is black and bald. Jules asks if he looks like a bitch. Poor Brett still can't get a hint. What? Jules then shoots him in the leg and asks, does he look like a bitch? Brett says that he doesn't look like a bitch. And then Jules asks, then why you try to fuck him then? You did, and, you, and he don't like being fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. Another great line. Amazing. Like, can't say anything about it. He asks if Brett has read the Bible and says that there is a passage that he memorized that fits the occasion. That passage is Ezekiel 25:17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides of the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. Those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then he kills Brett. Shoots him multiple times. I'm very confused. At this point of the film, I don't know what's going on. I'm so lost. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a different it's a different way of watching it, and and I think, to be honest, that's where for me, initially, where there's this there's this mystery to it, and there's this level of engagement, which especially for me when I first watched it, I was not used to with film. Like nowadays, it it, it makes total sense to me with like. Um, not because I watched it, but just in general, how to engage with a film. I think, unfortunately, the 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 diet of films that we are accustomed to is very much hand holding. Yeah. And so when you do watch a film like this, and it doesn't do that, it can be very jarring. It can be very jarring. And I'm here for it. it I'm like just it, confused it like on it. what I think the plot is happening because I'm trying to yeah. guess what's happening as well, and I'm like, I have no idea. Like. <laughs> the one prediction I did have was immediately shot to bed within like five seconds of the next scene. <laughs> so, so you don't know I what just... to make as far as predictions go. You don't know what to make. Yeah, it. like I'm here for it. I'm loving every second of this film so far, and yeah. like I'm enjoying it. I did have one question though. Did Vincent kill the black kid that was by the door? From memory, yes, because he walks around before he shoots. Right. Well, because, yeah, because right. Vince, yeah, so, so Jules walks around, and when, as he's saying that whole passage from the Bible, when he says specifically the line, finder of lost children, he starts walking around, and he looks at the kid at the door as well, and then yeah. right when Jules shoots his gun, the black kid falls. And then you cut and you see Vincent also firing his gun. So my guess was that Vincent killed him. Yeah. Cool. Okay. 
Beautiful. That's what I thought happened. But yeah, literally in my notes, I have, I'm very confused on the plot of this film. I have no idea what's happening. I'm enjoying every moment of it, but I'm confused. My guess from earlier is now invalid. Other than potentially the guy and the girl from the beginning somehow run into Jules and Vince. That is still in the play. It's still on... It, on that, play. That's the only thing that is left really? on play. <laughs> yeah, I. It, it, so I'm holding out hope that that's that'll still happen. I have a couple more predictions as we learn a little more, but I think what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a quick intermission and then we'll pop right back in and continue the rest of this episode. So take that quick intermission and be right back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the intermission. I hope you all are enjoying the new episode on Pulp Fiction. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to bonus content, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go back into the show to help pay for better mics, better recording equipment, etc. Plus, you also get access to loads of bonus content. Access to my notes, access to bonus audio, little bits that may have been cut for the episode, for time's sake, things like that. So if any of that seems of interest to you, head on over to patreon.com slash postfinale. And if you cannot join the Patreon, but you still want to help the podcast, you can do so by following us on social media at postfinalepod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, be sure to talk about us on social media, as well as leave a review on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever podcast app you are using to listen to the show. I hope you all are enjoying this episode of Post Finale, and I hope you tune in next week as well. And right now, it's time to get back into the episode. And we are back. So, we then see a title card, and it says, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. She has a name. Mia, use it. Use her name. Like, she's not just Marcellus Wallace's wife. She is Mia. She is an actress. Maybe she hasn't been in anything famous, but, like, you know. She she has a name. Use it. Yeah, she was in a pilot, dude. She was in a pilot that didn't take off. She was in a off. pilot. Wait, she deserves, exactly. She hey, that's, that's more than what I've currently been in. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm working on it, but, yeah. you know. So, kudos, kudos to Mia. Give her some... Give her the... Give her the recognition she deserves. Exactly. Give her her proper name. Also, it underlined Marcellus Wallace's wife. I have no idea if that underline meant anything. I don't know if you know anything about that. Oh, look, I mean, jokes aside, I think the point is that the, the, the whole frame of this story is Vincent with not Maya, not any girl, but his boss's wife, who is like a, a gangster, basically, you know. So it's, I think, right? I think, like, yeah, that, I didn't actually remember that that was underlined, but the fact that, right? It's not. It's not Vincent and Maya. It's Vincent and Marcellus's wife. Right. It's Vincent and yeah. his boss's wife, which is yeah. the approach that Vincent takes, and honestly, that's a very good approach, and that's why. 
I like Vincent even more after seeing this little bit of the story. And so let's jump into it. So we open this story and it opens with Bruce Willis's character and Marcellus Wallace is saying that after all of this is over, he'll be one smiling motherfucker. Right now, though, Butch, who is Bruce Willis's character, Butch has ability and as painful as it may be, ability doesn't last and his days are almost over. It's a hard fact of life, but a fact that he needs to be realistic about. And that business is full of unrealistic people who thought that they would age like fine wine. And if they thought that they would age like vinegar, and that's what it meant, it does. But, you know, that things get better with age, it doesn't. This is what he's saying. I don't necessarily believe that's true, but, you know, you can interpret that however you want. So, he asks, how many more fights does Butch have in him anyway? Butch came close, but he never made it. And if he would have made it as a boxer, he would have made it by now. Which is, like, a harsh thing to say to someone. But also, like kind of true i guess in the world of sports a bit more yeah it's a, it's a, it's a tough pill to to swallow and i do have a bit of an athletic side and background to me as well so like you kind of sit there and you're like yeah i know it's you, you you to be excelling as an athlete you do have to have a mindset of you know superman you know and you have to you're trying to you're trying to reach limits to your physicality and to your body that the average person might never dream of you know so to 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 be facing the reality of your mortality like which is really what it is like and and what 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 kind of legacy you're going to be creating for yourself from the feats that you do achieve in the short career that a boxer does have is is a tough one to to take you know so yeah. It's a tough pill to swallow, but Marcellus is spitting the truth. Mm. He, he He's being honest, and I appreciate that about him. You know, So Marcellus offers Butch an envelope of cash. Butch reaches for it, but Marcellus pulls it away, and Butch agrees that he will work for Marcellus. And that's when I clocked, like, oh, they're fixing the fight. Okay, like, I was I was confused on what was happening until, like, the agreement and i was like ah like great we now know so marcellus says that butch might feel a sting the night of the fight and that is pride fucking with him pride only hurts and never helps and fight through that shit because a year from now when you're in the caribbean you're gonna say marcellus wallace was right and so marcellus hands him the money and says your ass goes down in the fifth round I made a bold prediction at this moment in time is that Marcellus is going to die by the end of the film. I think that's going to be what the big climax is. There's going to be some massive fight at the end. And I'm going based on the other two Tarantino films that I've seen where there has been mass murder and lots of killing at the end of the film. And I think Marcellus isn't going to make it out of that. Interesting. I've got a bit of my... I appreciate you not saying anything. Poker face. This whole 
whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Your face is wonderful. You're just sitting there like, mm -hmm, yep, like, good. Like, <laughs> keep saying words. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> Much appreciated. I'm excited to get to the end of it all with you. Like, see, see what you think. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So Vincent and Jules, they walk in. They're wearing shorts and a T-shirt feels weird i don't like them in this i i liked them in their suits they looked they looked better in their suits but also they're off duty like you know you don't you don't need to be in your suit all the time so fair enough paul the bartender uh says you know he's been good brings up mia and asks if anyone has met her they both say no and you know vincent's like no nah, i've never met her but like you know i'm gonna take her out because marcellus asked me to and Jules just starts laughing and just leaves um, to go have a piss. And Vincent then tells Paul, the bartender, look, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to do anything. Like, I'm just going to sit across from her, like, take her out to eat. Like, you know, because Marcellus has asked me to keep her company, but she's also my boss's wife. I'm not going to do anything stupid. So this is what I was saying. Like, he has the right mindset. We'll see how well this works out for him, but he has a good mindset going into this situation. Yeah. So, Butch comes up to the bar, and he gets some cigarettes. Vincent calls him a palooka and punchy. I've heard punchy as an insult before. Have you ever heard palooka? I can know. I, I still, to this day, don't know what that means. Did you, did you end up looking, looking that up? Can, we can look now if we need to. I'm looking right now. Let's see. Uh, Paluka definition. Okay. Paluka apparently means a stupid, clumsy, or uncoth. Uncoth? Uncoth? Uncouth? Words are hard. <laughs> person. But pretty much a stupid, clumsy person. So. If anyone out there needs a good insulting word for any reason, you know, you might be fighting with your best friend and you need to call them a name, call them a palooka. It's a very valid word. And you know what? You'll make them look dumb potentially as well. And that's a win-win if you're trying to win an argument. With your best friend, don't do this with your significant other. You might not survive. Well, I'm bringing it into my vocabulary for... Uh, people I, I want to make fun of and they won't even know the meaning. So, uh, so. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, it's it, it's definitely a word that I want to use more. Yeah. See, like, punchy, punchy's there, but palooka. Like, that's just, yeah. you know, it sounds silly and insulting at the same time, and that's the best yeah. type of word. <laughs> so, we then have a very sudden scene change, and we see Jody. And she starts this scene in with a fantastic quote that I was very confused about. But she just says, it's as if it turns every part of your body into the tip of a penis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was so confused. Turns out they're talking about piercings. And they're talking about piercing guns. And according to Jody, a piercing gun goes against the very idea of a piercing. Now look, I have my ears pierced. Piercing guns worked great. I I don't know, but like, sure, 
why not? Like, it was a wild introduction to this scene. And the more we learn about these people, the more it makes a little bit of sense. So, Jody then says that she has 18 piercings on her, and all of them were done with a needle. Now, I wrote all of these down because I was like, I need to make sure that this actually adds up to 18 because this is the type of person that I am. We have five in each ear, one on the nipple on her left breast, two in her right nostril, one on her left eyebrow, one in her belly, one on her lip, one in her clit, and a stud on her tongue. I counted. That is 18. So, well done. Like, they said 18 and actually gave us 18. I appreciate that. Not a hard thing to do, but I feel like a lot of people just don't pay attention to those minor details. Yeah. So, Vincent then asks, why would you ever wear a stud on your tongue? Apparently, it's a sex thing. Sure. Vincent then gets called, and he goes to the back room, and we're looking at three different bags of cocaine. And I was like, this seems accurate based on things that we have learned about Vincent and his adventures in Amsterdam and, you know, the hash bars and everything like that. So you have three different types. You have Panda from Mexico. You have Bava, which is different, but equally good as Panda from Mexico. And you have Choco from Harz Mountains of Germany. Now, I know nothing about any of this, but just based on the names, I'm gonna go with Panda because it just has the most fun name. If I had to pick one, I wouldn't, but like, you know, it just has the most fun name. I feel like. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be the. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I don't know why. I'll probably draw to that too if, if, I, if I had yeah, to choose. Just. If I, if I had a gun to my head and they were like, you have to pick one, I'd be like, I'm going to go with Panda because, like, I don't know, it's cute. And, like, pandas are fluffy. Like, maybe it'll make me feel cute and fluffy. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and just, just on this scene as well, I, I've not actually verified this, but it is just worth noting because, like, this film is chock full of them. But uh, have you ever seen Taxi Driver? No. Okay, because this, this scene is, for me anyway, like, it, it reminded me, it was very reminiscent of a scene in Taxi Driver when um, the main character, Travis, is buying guns from someone. Okay. And, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, like, a direct reference because Tarantino is very filmically literate and there's loads of very intentional film references uh, in, like, literature throughout this film, not, not all of which I'm... Uh, aware of and also even have even seen but there's still a lot of them and there's some I have seen and you're like oh that's like a nice kind of nod and it, I think it's just interesting he, he, he has done it in other films but this is probably where it's most overt in Pulp Fiction sure yeah I did know that like he references a lot of iconic films and films that like sometimes he just likes even if they're not necessarily iconic so I do know that he yeah does that but i think that's just again a strength of a good artist and directing is just another form of art and you know any good artist takes inspiration from other places and then molds it and creates their own thing but if you're not taking inspiration from anything then what are you creating so like i think that's just another good sign and like you know i think that's why i've never heard of a bad Tarantino film. Let's put it that way. Other directors I've heard, like, you know, 
it's not it's not a good film or whatever i've sure some might not have necessarily done as well in the box office or whatever but i've never heard that from anybody that there is a bad tarantino film and that speaks volumes to him as a director yeah no i i, I agree with that and not that i've seen the majority of his films i haven't seen all of his films but I, I would sign off on that too there's not a there's ones i don't like as much but i wouldn't say they're a bad film at right all. and that's that's the case of you know you're, you're putting out I don't, I don't even know how many films he has, but upwards to 20, 30 films, if not even more. But, like, when you're putting out all of that, obviously there are going to be, you know, people are going to rank them and be like, like, you know, this one I love. This one is just not my favorite comparatively to the others, but that doesn't make it a bad film because it's still significantly better than all of these other films. So it's just a ranking system at that point. But, yeah. yeah. So... We're almost through to where we're going to wrap up this episode, but we just got a tiny bit more to get through. And so at first I was like, is this because I was still in that idea that time plays a thing. And it felt like in this scene, Vincent just looked younger than he did in the previous scene. So for a f- like mo- a few moments I wrote in my notes I was like it feels like we're back in time maybe like this is before Vincent and Jules knew each other just because Vincent looks much younger it turns out I was very wrong but just something that you know maybe camera angles and just the costuming of that moment just made me think of that but turns out not the case but we learned that the first two bags of cocaine they are $300 a gram and these are the friends' prices. And the third bag is $500 a gram. And it is a madman. Apparently, white people who know the difference between the good and bad shit come to this guy's house. I still don't know who this guy is other than the drug dealer. We'll learn more about him in a bit. But Coke is dead and heroin is making a comeback. Sure. I guess. I don't know. Vincent agrees to three grams of the madman and apparently we also learned during the scene that someone has keyed vincent's malibu that's just sad don't mess with another man's vehicle like come on not not fun and not fun for vincent he wishes that he could have caught the guy who did it and it would have been worth getting his car keyed if he could just catch the guy who did it fair enough i feel like that guy would be very dead based on what we've seen from Vincent before, but, you know, I get where Vincent's coming from. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, this is, I don't think there's anything in the film to to hint at this other than what we've already seen, but I, I, I like to think that it's Butch who keyed his car after he had that little tizzy with him at the bar, so, but I don't know, I don't know it, that doesn't really have any bearing on whether or not it's true, but I, I just like to think that, he was he felt slighted and he's like you know what we're gonna key this guy's car (laughs) or why not it's canonical let's say that it was butch yeah (laughs) maybe maybe it'll come back you know what i have no reason to think that it isn't butch so you know yes yes he got upset being called a palooka and was like i'm gonna key this man's car fair enough oh yeah so (laughs) vincent then decides to shoot up at the house And we get a beautiful, it's about 30 seconds, and it's just a beautiful scenic clip of him shooting up. Now, he's putting a needle together, and I'm 
no genius, but I'm pretty sure that he was doing cocaine, not heroin. But from yes. my understanding, it's what's called a, again, and I'm like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, the most vanilla person takes like, this is how drugs work. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, I, don't, I don't know either, so. <laughs> yeah, and, and because I'm pretty sure I read about it um, for, like, for the film, because I, I think I had a similar question, but it's, it's what's called a speedball, which is a mix of cocaine and heroin. So heroin being a depressant, but cocaine being an upper. So when you mix them, you sort of get, this concoction that you have the benefits both like you have that kind of drowsiness but you're also elevated to stay awake that's my understanding of what what was happening there sure okay so i think it's i think i'm pretty sure it's a mixture of the of the two okay that makes more sense yeah i mean i do know that people mix stuff all the time but i was just confused because i was like i thought we saw him buying cocaine and now he's putting together a syringe which i know is more used for heroin Heroin, yeah 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 so i was just confused there but cool but you also have shots of a lighter and transitions into him driving and the music behind it's a beautiful saxophone piece that's being played behind as you see all of these scenic elements it's just all beautifully shot beautifully done just you know 30 seconds of no dialogue nothing just pure scenic shots and you just get that feeling you get the feeling of the high that he is experiencing as well and i thought it was just a very lovely moment so we see vincent he goes into a house and he walks up to the front door and on the door there's a note from mia she says that i'm getting dressed the door is open and she tells him to come in and grab a drink Vincent enters the house, and Mia's watching him through some intercom security system thing, and then talks to him over the intercom, and Vincent's confused, and I was like, it's the confused meme from... It's, yeah, it's, not, it's, it's, fun. <laughs> it's so satisfying to see like, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, like, I was like, I know this thing, there like, I know this one thing, like, here we go. Yeah. Um, it was very satisfying, and... Yeah, it, it was beautiful, and I see why it turned into a meme, and also, just in the sense of the story, it does legitimately fit, because Vincent's just confused on, like, where he's hearing this disembodied oh, yeah. voice from. Exactly, yeah, so it actually, yeah, in context, it's like, oh, that's a normal reaction to something. It's just a normal reaction of, wait, like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> like, I'm yeah. hearing a voice, but I don't see a person. So, just very satisfying. So Vincent goes over to the intercom, and Mia says, you know, I'll be down in a minute. Just make yourself a drink. And I'm like, that's okay, Mia, but you lied. You're not getting dressed. You're being a creep and watching this guy on security cameras. Yeah. I was upset with her. She had a different game plan. I was like, you, you, you lied. I know. I was like, y- y- you told us you were getting dressed, and that's acceptable. But like now, you're just now you're just watching people. Like, I don't know what to think of you. Vincent pours himself a drink. We see Mia doing lines of coke, and that's something that we'll see continuously. But we see Mia doing some lines of coke. She comes down and says, "Let's go." And I think this is the perfect place to end this episode of post finale just before mia and vincent go off on this adventure we'll talk more about what this adventure entails next week but 
is there anything that we missed anything that you want to go over potentially that you know up until what we've gotten to so far jeremy like anything at all no look i think i think we've i think engaged with pretty much most of the the points that come for me i'm just i'm i'm hyper focused on making sure i don't reference things that are that are upcoming because there, there, there are a lot of things that do connect that I do want to talk about, but we'll have to we'll have to wait for another time. We'll have but, to um, wait. Well, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jeremy. If people want to find you on the internet doing stuff, like where can they do that? Can they follow you anywhere? Yeah, look, probably the most relevant and prominent places for me would be my LinkedIn, which so is my, my same name, Jeremy Mullally, and I'm also on Instagram as well, so Jeremy. Malali, and also my, uh, if you want to follow my Ithaca content, which is, you know, largely around video production and film, it's just, if you look up Ithaca Media, I'm on across most channels there. So yeah, that's where you'd find me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining Jeremy. And I can't wait to have you on for the episode next week as well. And we can get into this date. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'll catch y'all later. Post Finale is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. Our editor is Pranav Nair, and the music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. If you would like to support the show and gain access to more bonus content, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to help pay for better equipment and things like that. Also, you get access to loads of bonus content. So you can get access to my notes, you can get access to bonus audio, bonus clips that may have been cut, and you can also help me decide what films I watch in the future. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com postfinale and gain access to loads of bonus content. And if you still want to support the show and you can't donate to the Patreon, that's no problem. I'm just very thankful that you joined in and listened to this episode, and I hope you continue listening to the episodes. You can still support the show by following us on social media at PostFinalePod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to talk about the show on social media and leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast app you use to listen to the episode. Also, suggest the show to one of your friends. Reach out and say, hey, I know that you love movies or hey, I've been trying to get you to watch more movies. Check out this new podcast. Any of this helps, and thank you to everyone who has done this, and thank you to anyone who will do this in the future. But as I said, I'm just very thankful that you joined for this episode, and I hope you join us next week when Jeremy joins us once again to continue talking about Pulp Fiction. Until then, I'll catch you all later.